Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special edition of Not Another Whiskey Podcast. I am your solo host this week for this episode, as Nicholas couldn't make it over here because we're recording a very special episode from the Rassi Distillery in front of a live studio audience. Yes! That, that wasn't planned at all. That was amazing. Well done. Thank you very much. Um, so, incredible to be here. And, um, you know, it was a, such a joyous journey, I suppose, to come from Speyside over to here. So, I wish you guys listening could actually see what we're seeing right now. We're sitting at the distillery. We've got this stunning view of sky from Rassi. Uh, we're looking over the Coolin Hills. My journey here from Speyside took about, it was about two hours and, you know, driving through sky, jumping on a little ferry, around about 10 minutes, just coming over here, seeing the distillery, coming into shot as we, we were going on the ferry. What I love with this, this podcast is coming to these new distilleries that we're seeing in Scotland. And, and I think when we talk about this, and we're going to get into this in just a second, Rassi is one of the, I suppose, new old distilleries when you're talking about this. You, you know, we, we're kind of getting there here with regards to what you guys are doing. And it's amazing that, you know, I've been joined by the co-founder, Alistair Day, from R&B Distillers today. Alistair, thank you very much for inviting us over here. And... Uh, Alex Pendley is here as well. He is the tour guide, whiskey extraordinaire. He's going to be chirping in here. Alex, thank you so much for being here. No problem. It's uh, an honour. Thank I, you very much. And I think we need a round of applause from, from the audience as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. We've talked about this beautiful location, guys, that, that you're in. And we're going to get into the whiskey and the distillery in just a second. I want to talk about the island first off. I mean, this is a remote place mm-hmm. This must have a load of whiskey history with regards to illicit distilling, I'm assuming. There was a, there was a load going on here. Alistair, was that something that influenced the, the, the location and the idea behind the Rassi distillery? Yeah, I think just the fact that it has got that, you know, kind of link to illicit distilling. You know, distilling before there was whiskey licences and then after there was whiskey licences. And... Uh, it, it, well, first of all, it demonstrates the fact that you can make whiskey in this place. Um, they could grow barley here, and they could make whiskey here. They had the water, they had everything they needed, and um, it was part of the culture, you know. So that 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 whole thing, and and it helped, you know, like in remote areas of Speyside, it helped the fact that it's an island off an island in the northwest coast of Scotland. Yeah. Can you tell us some of the stories about illicit distilling that happened here? Yeah, well, yeah, there are some stories. So there's there's a there's a very nice site down in Ayr, which is down towards the south, and uh, you follow a burn up the hill, and you come across it's not really a clearing; it's still in the trees, but there's a little stone building, or what's left of a little stone building, just near the near the river. And uh, if you go there, you can actually see where they would have had the still and the fire, and obviously had the water for condensing the whiskey. And it's not somewhere you would have stumbled across. You would have to have known that you were where mm. you were going. So, yeah, yeah. ideal place. I mean, yeah, because that's what they wanted to do, right? They didn't want to yeah. get found. Um, and what do you think, you know, I mean, we're going to get on to your, 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 your first whiskey here in just a second. Do you think that that, I know you guys are lightly peated here. You're assuming that that was almost the style that they were doing yeah, here? So when we were designing the distillery, we started with, you know, what is the, what is the whiskey going to be? What, what style of whiskey we're going to make? And we looked at other Hebridean distilleries. That's 
that's mm. what you do. What what is the style of area? And it's not it's not really that clear in terms of Hebridean style, but one of the elements was that lightly peated, you know. So not the heavily peated dialers with with Isla peat, but something that was just a bit more fragrant and aromatic and kind of wood smoke element of it. And I think you know we've grown some barley here, and we've, you know we've malted it with Rassi using Rassi peat, and it has very much got that kind of lighter, more fragrant element of it. So the lightly peated of what we're doing with Rassi definitely is a nod to what we think it would have been like here. Fantastic. Love that. On that note, on this remote part of Scotland, let's chat about you opening this distillery in mm-hmm. 2017. Yeah. What were the challenges? I mean, there must have been some huge challenges, right? You're, yeah. You've got to do two islands to get to this place. So yeah. let's, let's chat about you building this distillery. Like, are you insane? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, <laughs> not now, anyway. Uh, no, I think... Yeah, there obviously were challenges, but it's what's really interesting is when there are challenges and there are the known challenges. And mm. One of the known challenges was that we've got ferry, you know. So there's a, there's a there's a bridge to Sky now, that's great, but there's a ferry to Rassi. So we knew we knew we had to get everything over on the ferry. So in a way, that in itself didn't become an obstacle because it was a known. The hardest part, the the, the struggle, the the probably the bit that did test my sanity was actually restoring Borrowdale House. That that was the toughest part because there weren't so many knowns about doing that. The actual building the distillery bit, the designing the process, you know, so the blank sheet of paper designing that process, again, a lot of knowns, you know, and a lot of, a lot of elements that we were able to draw on. But refurbishing this Borrowdale House, that was, that was the real challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And I was looking at old pictures of, of the house. It seemed like it was a kind of extension and, and yeah. part of that was bulldozed to make the distillery, yeah. correct? And then yeah. you left the, the original part yeah. of so, it. Um, when we bought the Borrowdale house, it was a disused hotel. And uh, it was back in the kind of early 80s that uh, the predecessor to what's now Highlands Islands Enterprise decided to turn this into, into a hotel. So um, Borrowdale House would have been the estate manager's uh, house um, for Rassi House and they ran the whole of the island going back to sort of Georgian times. Um, and the reason they did that was to create jobs and to bring people to the island and just add a bit more vibrancy to the community. Um, so it wasn't the most attractive to... <laughs> To my mind, it was uh, as you would do in the eighties. It was all kind of extensions and added on the rest. But yeah. so yeah, so that that went, kept Borrowdale House, renovated that as I said, and then pretty much on the same footprint, the distillery is pretty much in the same footprint of where the accommodation block was, and where we're sitting now in the gathering room. Uh, that's now a restaurant where you have breakfast and dinner. Um, this this would have been the bar, um, and what fascinated me about that bar was was not the kind of 70s, 80s wood panelling and sticky floor. It was the fact that it didn't have <laughs> windows and you couldn't see that view. That was the thing. It had high it's levels crazy, to let light in, but you could not see that view. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Why would you not want to do that? Apparently, it was still a great place to come, but I don't know why. <laughs> I can imagine that back in the day, just, yeah. you know, drinking yeah. a load of whiskey, going out, and it would be like daylight outside and you've been here all night and that, all kind, that. Of, that kind of scenario, right? Yeah. Which is what we're going to do tonight, correct? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... 
Alex, I want to come on to you. You live on the island. You've been here a while. How is it living on well, in such a remote place in Scotland and dealing with whiskey? I mean, yeah, it's uh, different. Um, coming from the north of England, it's a bit of a change. Um, but then again, um, it's it's kind of we live right in the middle of of the little village here on the island. So it's although it's out in the middle of nowhere, you're still very connected to the community here. So it's not really like living anywhere that remote. And you're not from Rassi, right? I'm not, judging not by that from, accent. Not from Rassi at all. No, I'm um, from, from, I say, a small town, a large town in the north of England called Barnsley. And uh, yeah, yeah. And, and when you're in Barnsley, you just decided you hated people and wanted to move in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> is that it? I mean, is it, is it that obvious? <laughs> um, no, so I, I, I was... I, I wanted to get into whiskey. I thought, what better way than, than come up to Scotland? My, my two local distilleries, I say local loosely, um, there are two hours away in either direction. Um, and so, yeah, it was, if I want to get into whiskey, Scotland's going to be the place to have to go to. Um, and so, yeah, came up came up to Rasse this year and loving it, absolutely loving it. Brilliant, good for you, man, good for you. And tell me, tell, like, for everyone listening, Tell us what your day-to-day is like. When you do tours here, what does that involve? What kind of tours do you do here at the distillery? What can people expect? Yeah, so we're, we're doing kind of your, your, I say your standard distillery tour. Um, I wouldn't really call them standard, comparing them to other places, but it's um, your kind of entry into into the whiskey world, in essence. Um, so we, we, we bring you in, we, we talk to you about um, where we've come from as a distillery. We then take you through our production, um, eventually working your way back into the tasting room to where we talk about the whiskey itself and, and bring it all to all to a close um, with, with the, the two drams and obviously the gin as well that we make. The tours, that we, we, we run them very regularly through the day, but we've, we're expanding on those and developing newer tours to come through where we take you down now to the dunnage and you get to try cask samples drawn straight from the cask um, into your glass. So um, more experience kind of tour for the yeah, people? Yeah, a, a more kind of, um, a more raw experience. You're getting that kind of directly you're in the dunnage, you get that atmosphere, um, you're tasting the whiskey straight straight from the cask, it's got all the bits in it that are in there, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a bit more of an experience. Well, that's a nice segue, Alex, because we haven't drunk any whiskey yet. You guys ready to drink some whiskey? Yeah! All right, let's, let's try this first one. Um, Alistair, this is your, I suppose, flagship uh, whiskey we're, we're going to try first off. Can yeah. you talk us through this? Yeah, so this is our signature single malt. It's the latest bottling of it. It's R01.2. Um, based on our, what we call Nasea, six, six casks. So Nasea is uh, literally Gallic for the six. Um, so we use, we make two different types of spirit. We'd make unpeated and peated. We do about six months of each. Um, they're both matured separately. And we have three different cask types. So X rye casks, Trinkman oak casks and ex Bordeaux red wine. So you've got peated in those three casks, unpeated in those three casks. Three years, four years later, we back them together and then we reduce it down to 46.4. So this is our signature single malt from Elvras. I love this. And you know, a story that I haven't told you, we, we went out for dinner just before recording this. And one of the things that I didn't tell you was I did a tasting. Uh, it was about a year ago and we put Rassi in there and there was some big brands in there as well. And what I love to do at the end of my tasting is, you know, what was everyone's favorite? Mm-hmm. And Rassi came out number one. Oh, yes. And I'm not going to name any other brands that were in there because a lot of them listen to this podcast. No, so, um, but yeah, what I love about what you've done here, and I've always said this about Rassi, 
you're a new distillery, everyone knows that. You know, you haven't got an age statement on here, but this for me drinks a lot older than mm-hmm. it actually is. Yeah. How, you know, your background, you're, you're very into the whole wood aspect of yeah. it. You're, I'd say you're very much an expert on it. You think that, that, that plays a big part in it, right? With, yeah. with what you've done here. Yeah, so again, we knew when we were designing the distillery, when we were designing the spirit, that to release something at three, four years old, we had to somehow have complexity, depth and balance. So how do you do that? So part of what we do is by making different styles and unique spirit in the distillery. So we walk around early, we've got various things that can be offered on, whether that's cooling jackets in the washback, a cooling jacket in the line arm of the wash still, or a little purifier off the spirit still. All these things can be offered on. So we also do three and five day fermentations. So, you know, three day fermentation is very different from five day fermentation and, and just, having all these different elements and maturing them separately. So starting with that, starting with different styles of new makes for it, maturing them separately, peated and unpeated. You know, so rather than going for blended peated barley coming in at say 21 parts per million, we do completely plain malt and we do peated barley that's 48, 52 parts per million coming in. And then the, the different cast types. So as you said, you know, we have the XY, the Chinkapin, and, and the X-Bordeaux red wine, and they all add completely different elements to the whiskey. So the rye brings that kind of black pepper spice element that from the previous contents from the rye whiskey. But you also get a little bit of vanilla and butterscotch from the North American, oh, the Quercus Alba. And then you've got the Chinkapin to the uh, Quercus Muhlenbergi. So again, North American oak, but it's much more mellow. Uh, it brings a lot of colour. Um, and it's it's there's a kind of softness to it as well as a richness, so it doesn't overpower the spirit. So it brings a lot, a lot mm-hmm. very early on. And these casts have a high char and a high toast, so they're very active casts. And then the ex Bordeaux red wine, so French oak, a mixture of Quercus Petrea, Quercus Roba, but from chateaus on the left bank in Bordeaux, so the higher tannin red wines and. Three vintages, so it's about as far as wine will go into oak. And then our job is really to make sure that spirit not only gets the dark fruit characters from the wine, but gets past the wine and into the French oak and starts to get those savoury spices from the French oak, so things like clove. So with all of those different elements, we can bring that together and that's our recipe. And hopefully that means that we can create complexity, depth and balance at a, at a young age. It's fascinating. I, I want to rewind a little bit and, and find out your story because I know you've got history and heritage within your family, within the whiskey industry, yeah. but you didn't start off in the whiskey industry. You started in, in food, right? I and then, food, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> let, let's chat about your, your, yeah. kinda, your granddad's recipe, going yeah. back to the... Yeah, so it was, it was my, my great-grandfather, actually. So he, uh, he had a licensed grocery shop in Coldstream in the Borders. Um, but that company uh, was called Jane Davidson originally, and it was established in 1820. So I can trace my family connection to whiskey back to 1820, which I always like to say is exactly the same year that John Walkerson started the licensed grocery shop in Kilmarnock. So it's, it's, it's rooted in, in whiskey heritage. And my connection through my great-grandfather is what the family call a cellar book. It's actually a sales ledger for 1881, 1882, but it's got all the blends that G&E Davidson produced from 1899 to 1916. So 
that's my connection. And in 2009, I used that book to recreate one of my great-grandfather's blends, the Tweedale. But before that, for 30-odd years, I worked in the food industry. So I did a degree in botany at Glasgow University. The very first job after that was growing mushrooms. So, yeah, I know the jokes. I am a fun guy. <laughs> There's no mushroom in here. It is magic, though. Uh, so. All right, stop. That's a yellow card right now. <laughs> one more and you're out. Um, this podcast then, is, gets uh, deleted. <laughs> and then that, that took me into fresh produce. Charm uh, likes to say that was the man from Del Monte going around saying yes, then I will take that. <laughs> and then that took me into dairy. So for a long time, um, we actually had some friends up last night and they still refer to me as the cheese man. The cheese man. Um, so even though I've kind of moved on from that, that's all the connection. But I think in particular, the cheese, the dairy, that stainless steel, that fermentation, that matured element of it helped greatly in moving into... into when was it, but when was the switch, though, for you? When switch. did you go, I want to get into whiskey and, yeah. you know, screw it, I'm going to build a distillery in Rassi? <laughs> so 2009 was the answer to that. So uh, was that the stage where I was thinking about having my own business, working for myself, you know, that, that attraction of being your own boss. Um, and I was talking to my dad about, you know, do I buy a small food business? Or the, and he was like, no, you've got the book. Obviously, you've got the book. You know? So I set about, went through the book, um, looked at all the different distilleries in there, all the different recipes, and realised that the Tweedale was made up of nine different Whiskey's one green, eight malts, so I went out, bought nine casks and put the blend back together and it kind of went from there. Fantastic. Shall we drink another whiskey? Oh, yes. Yes. Right, Alex, you're going to talk about this. We're going to move on to our next dram here because um, what I love about Rassi, since you guys have opened up, you've, you've created so many different expressions, right? And mm-hmm. So, Alex, talk us through this next one. Yeah, so the, the next one, it's the... Um, the X-Rye cask, so it's the unpeated spirit that's been matured in the X-Rye, and it's, I mean, I love it. It's not, it, in theory, it shouldn't be the whiskey that I really like of the unpeated side, being someone who loves heavy, very heavily sherried whiskies. There's kind of, uh, but I think maybe that spice you get with the sherry is coming through from the X-Rye, so you get that, like Callister was saying, that black pepper note that comes through. Um, so you're getting that raw experience of the spirit with the, the rise influence coming in. And it's, yeah, it's fantastic. It's really, really nice. I mean, I think it's interesting now because you see a lot of um, distilleries are now experimenting with rye. And there's been a few distilleries that have do, been doing it for a while. They've just been keeping it on the lowdown. Mm-hmm. Why did you guys decide to, to use rye? Was there any rhyme or reason there? Yeah, I mean, a number of different reasons. So when we were designing the distillery, we looked at what was happening out with Scotland. And one of the things that was very notable at the time was the kind of rise of craft distilling in the States. Hmm. And, and those guys took what was a kind of unloved, dare I say, old man's drink, um, and turned it into something very cool, you know, and, and very attractive. And so that whole kind of renaissance of rye in the States, and it was just like, yeah, we could just use bourbon casks, you know, that's, that's very traditional in Scotland, but... By using X-Rye, we get that pepperiness. Hmm. And, uh, you know, in, in, in time that mellows out. I mean, this is a this is a cast-strength bottling. This is just over 62% ABV. So you're getting a little bit of that heat from the, the alcohol, but then you've got that black pepper element. And that's really what we wanted, you know, to bring 
you know, as I said earlier, we need we need complexity. You know, we need different things. So a bourbon cast probably wasn't going to be given up. Um, but that rye and this, you know, being able to do these single cast both and just kind of destruct, you know, deconstructs our signature single malt. So you start to get the pure elements of the six individual casts. I think that's that's what this does. I mean, I think what's fascinating for me when you, you did what I described over dinner as one of the best distillery tours I've ever had in my life because it was like 10 minutes we had to get to dinner. Uh, you know, it was just like, boom, this is it, this is it. And I loved that. And we were getting very geeky and very sort of technical within that short period of time. And one of the things I said to you was, you know, who designed this distillery? And did they say, are you absolutely insane? Because you did, you've done so many things. And yeah. what I love is you guys are only around about, is it about 200,000 litres a year? Yeah, just under, really. Just under that? 180 last year. But you can do so many different things within the distillery, which yeah. I think is fantastic for a small craft distillery in Scotland to be so flexible. Mm-hmm. And not only have that within the new mix spirit, but also with what you're doing with maturation and the different uh, varietals of, of, of cereal that you're using as well, you know? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, one of the things we said from the outstart is that, you know, we are a new distillery, so we want to be honestly contemporary, you know? Mm. So this is a very new building. You've got the Georgian house in the middle, and hopefully it's all complementing all fits together, but, but when you come up, you know, when you're coming across and you see it, you know that this is a new distillery. And I think that was very important. So you've got that from an architectural design point of view, but hopefully from a process point of view as well. You know, we don't have to make a distillery character, you know, because mm-hmm. it's not going to the rest of the industry. It's, we don't have to, it's not going into blends. You don't have to be, oh, this is the Rassy style, you know. So that straight away meant we could do lots of different things. And if you look at particularly in Japan and how they've developed things and how they bring things together. You know, there's that, that flexibility. And, you know, the great thing about having a recipe for a single malt with six casts and two different spirit types is that we can flex it, mm. you know. So, you know, I like to think of our signature single malt as being a band, you know. So every time you pick up Isle of Rassi, Heberdeen single malt, it's that. But within a band. So if you go onto our website and you put in, you know, R one point two, it will tell you everything. It'll tell you how many rye casks, you know, how many chinkpin casks, how many, you know, what percentage of each, it will tell you what the yeast was, it'll tell you the fermentation times, it tells you the cut points. You know, mm-hmm. so with different cut points for PT and unpeated, that's all on the website. And I think the whole idea of that is as I've said, it just you know, that gives us flexibility and it means that in time, we, yeah, we can change things and vary things, but that actually helps us to be more consistent and produce that band. And the transparency is fantastic to see as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ho- hopefully a lot of that's on the label as well, but there's a lot of information, which is why it's, most of it's on the website. Future Rassi, what do you want to see 10 years from now? Uh, yeah, well, more of the same, obviously, I think. <laughs> so, so the recipe, that's the other thing we asked a lot, is that, yeah, okay, so you've, you've, you're making this complex whiskey at a young age but you know will it age on mm. and the answer is absolutely yes and you know that's the flexibility of the recipe is that it will be 10 15 years old and for instance we fill round about 1500 casts a year this year 700 of those casts will be ones that we've emptied and are refilling so about half of what we're doing and all of that just helps us build stock that will 
take a little bit longer to mature, but just again keeps that complexity. So, you know, one of the things is that just building that, developing it, letting it get older, all those things. So that definitely like to see that. But also, you know, we eighty percent of all the casts we buy are those three different cast types. But twenty percent we have other casts. So that twenty percent we're building special releases for the future. So that's what we'd see in the future as well, that kind of series and and maybe building it round elements like barley variety, oak species, um, maybe the regions of where the barley comes from, those sorts of elements into the special releases I think are yeah. really cool. SWA recently, you know, relaxed the rules on ageing and what type of casks that you can use. Would you like to see more of those rules relaxed, being a new distiller? Is there anything that you want to do that you, you're like, oh, I'm a little bit, my hands are tied? So. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very old school in that. I think the Scotch whisky regulations are a fantastic thing. They're there to protect Scotch whisky. And uh, I've always said with a bit of thought, you can do lots of interesting things within the regulation. So I'm not actually... I'm actually a big fan of tequila casks and things no. being relaxed, but uh, that's just me. You don't, don't want to do a wee mezcal cask, uh, Rassi? Yeah. Uh, I think that. there's lots of stuff we can do. <laughs> <laughs> I know you partnered up with the Three Chimneys, yeah. very famous restaurant on, on Sky. Yeah. Um, is that still going on? Is there any plans to do anything, kind of, you know, future, future collaborations, if you like, yeah, with, with no, anyone think, in the area? I think, you know, uh, partnerships, collaborations are absolutely key, and there's a number of different things that we're doing and working on, you know, whether that be within the whiskey industry with other people um, or with the local Cool um, Brewery or Three Chimneys, it's um, Glen Shield Chocolates as well. You know, these are all people that we work with. So, yeah, I mean, the, the Three Chimneys things, that you know, they did a great sort of, I think it was five courses paired with five of our different whiskies, and nice. it was really very a nice thing to do and I think uh, yeah we will be we'll, we'll be doing more of that and trying to work with lots of different people to do different things best experience you've had within the whiskey industry so far and that can be out with the distillery it can be just something that you've done probably been uh, made delivery man of the worst will come from distillers and just kind of being part of that industry thing that was quite special yeah. nice yeah. shall we move on to this third expression yeah. Um, you want to take us through what we're going to try next with you guys? How, how many Rassies have you guys released, by the way? What are you on right now? Uh, I think it's so six or seven? Yeah, I think uh, so. Our, our 1.2 must be at least batch five, I think, of the signature single bottle. Okay. Um, and then we've done some special releases. Um, and, but this particular one is, a, again, another single cast bottling. So this is the unpeated spirit in the uh, chinkapin. So immediately you can see the colour of that. So, you know, for a three-year-old whiskey to have that amount of natural colour from a cask. Is yeah, it's insane. Quite something, yeah. I mean, if someone gave me that blind, I'd think that was all sherry cask yeah. for yeah. a solid 12 years at it's, least, right? It's that colour, yeah. So that's what the Trinkerman cask brings. It brings, you know, a lot of flavour development early on, um, but in a way, hopefully, that it's not overpowering our, our uh, spirit. Let's talk about chinkapin because I think, you know, it's it's a fairly new variant of oak that's come in and maybe a lot of listeners haven't heard of it. They probably have because there's a lot of geeks that listen to yeah. this. But can you explain to me, you know, do you enjoy working with this style of oak? Or? Yeah, I think the, the chinkapin is like, a, 
it's a huge linkpin of our recipe. Um, so Quercus Muhlenberghi grows in all the same areas of North America as Quercus alba, and historically it wouldn't have been separated out into Quercus alba and Quercus Muhlenberghi. It was just North American white oak. But then it was probably really the kind of wine guys in America, you know, so you know that whole period of over oak chardonnays and that thing where, you know, something like Quercus Apple just gives too much oak yeah. too early on and it's just, it's just that over oaked. So they were looking for something that was just a little bit more mellow, a little bit more interesting, you know, something that would still bring the character they wanted but not overpower the wine. And, and that's when people started looking at different oak species and separating them out. Um, so that's really where Quercus Mulberg and Chinkman started to stand out. And, and for us, it was that worry about, you know, I guess, you know, fresh oak can have a bad reputation because it gives too much too quickly. And that's, that's what Quercus Harper does. Mm. So we were well aware of that when we we're kind of formulating this, this recipe. And for me, Chinkman gives a lot of flavour development, gives the colour, but it doesn't overtake the spirit. Um, and you know th- these casts are made to our specifications. So the the timbers air dried for thirty six months, three years. So it's quite a long seasoning period before the casts are made, and then the casts have a high toast and then a high char. So the air drying and the toasting actually starts to break down the lignans and the and the oak. So if you just took the dry matter of oak, it would be about fifty two percent lignin. That's that's that prevalent, but. The thing about lignin when it breaks down is it produces volatile phenols, and volatile phenols are flavour. So anything that you can do to kind of start that process, um, so the air drying and the toasting does that. And then the charring obviously increases the surface area of the cask, but the charcoal itself is removing impurities. So that high char in these casks helps with our young spirit. It's actually removing some of the impurities in it. When we tip the casts, it's amazing, you know, it's just the amount of charcoal that comes out of these casts when they tip them is just something else. Uh, that's the thing that I didn't realise with you guys as well. You, you pretty, I mean, apart from malting the barley, you do everything on site here, right? Yeah, so everything, we've got our own well on site, so the water's used for every part of the process, you know, it's cooling, fermentation. Um, we, when we do fill the casks here um, on site, we use that same water to reduce down to cast strength. Uh, it goes down, it's matured just a mile down the road in our warehouse is just behind the village where there's some very nice caravans, I believe. Uh, and, uh, and then it comes back up here and it's bottled with the same water. So uh, everything, everything's done on Rassi. Yeah. Alistair, take your Rassi hat off. What are you drinking? Uh, it depends on my mood, obviously. It depends mm-hmm. who I'm with, where I am. But it would be something like a Balveni or a Kalula. Okay. We talked about future Rassi. Let's talk about the future of Campbelltown mm-hmm. because this is a big deal for you, right? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So in, I think, uh, 2021, end of November, beginning of December, we bought Jury Farm down in Campbelltown. So uh, we've been growing barley there. This is our second season of growing barley. So we've grown it completely regeneratively, you know, minimum inputs. And just a couple of weeks ago, we uh, distilled the Judy Farm Barley here uh, at Rassi Distillery. So that's that's a big step forward, but obviously we've got our planning application in for Macrahanish Distillery and Judy Farm. And, you know, that's very, again, 
just like regenerally growing barley, the whole focus on that distillery is being as sustainable as possible and no fossil fuels and no chimneys. And so we're working that process. At the minute we're working through a planning application, and, you know, all things being well, we might break ground, you know, end of this year, beginning of next year, and we might be distilling in 2025 and we might have some whiskey in 2028. So. Do you just look at the map of Scotland and go, where's the most difficult place to build a distillery? <laughs> well, we have learned a lot from Rassi and, the, you know, the, some of the real positive things about Rassi are the fact that it is a wee island, 14 miles long, 3 miles wide, same size as Manhattan with a population of 161. Um, that's, a, that's a big plus because the community, you know, there's 40 people employed here at the distillery all live in Rassi, so it's a big part of it. So, when we're talking about a second distillery, that, that, yeah, it's actually a fact. We were going, well, what's another rural community? Yeah. Um, you know, because it, it, it works for us and it also helped the fact that um, Bill's grandma's from Drumlemble, which is halfway between Macrahanish and Campbelltown, and his uncle was a greenkeeper at Macrahanish Dunes. So, Bill you know, being the other co-founder. Yeah, co yeah. So th that, that's a big part of it as well. Um, the fact that Campbelltown was the Victorian whiskey capital of Scotland and uh, yeah all of that helps. I love it I mean you know we were chatting earlier on over dinner about Campbelltown and how that rejuvenation has, has come around within Campbelltown it almost fell off the map as, yeah. as a whiskey making it region right and yeah. we're talking hopefully within two years we're going to have six distilleries down there from, yeah. from it's, it's fantastic and I have to say you know uh, the, the support we've had from Springbank and uh, Glen Scotia and obviously Glen Gale as well. You know, that, that support that they've given us has just been fantastic, you know, and uh, that's great. amazing. That's great. So to wrap up here, guys, um, I mean, thank you so much for having us. Amazing to be here. And anyone who's listening, it's a long way to come when you're in Scotland, but it is absolutely worth it. What these guys have done here with regards to hospitality, distilling their whiskey, uh, you guys have got the, the, the whole package. And I'm not blowing smoke up your ass because I'm sitting here right now and you invited <laughs> me along. Um, but if, if someone's interested in Rassi and they want to come here, what's the best way for them to, to book? To, to I mean, yeah, obviously online, your website. Absolutely. So our website, you can book. We've got six ensuite bedrooms here a restaurant now bar so you know you can do that you can book a tour um but it's also you know we're also on booking.com and all of these things as well you can you can find us yeah i love that modern day distilling right there like Same. everything tick all the boxes thank you very much well guys thank you very much for having us uh audience thank you very much for being here And everyone listening, thanks so much for listening in. Check out our next episode, which I've got no idea which is going to be because uh, Nicholas is in Vegas right now doing something. We haven't chatted about it. But thank you so much for tuning in and see you next time. Bye.